0: It's going to be number 668, number 668, Dare to be a Daniel. 668, standing by a purpose. to make it known.
1: And as pastor introduced this again, for those of you visiting with us or or new to the Sunday school hour, we we are just underway with a new theology series here. Um, I started two weeks ago in this module, what I'm calling module one, Bibliology, which means study of the Bible. Um, And this is section three. We've covered the first two sections, which basically the first one was the inspiration of scripture. And then the second one was the inerrancy of scripture. So today, we're in section three. And again, I do have the handouts for those of those. If you want those, let me know. I'll make some copies so you can add that to your notebook and proceed from there. So again, our first section was, we talked about, you know, how do we know the Bible's true? It's from God and he doesn't make any mistakes. We called that inspiration. That all of scripture is inspired, meaning God breathed it. it came from the Spirit of God. We looked at a, lot of, a lot of examples of that. Then we talked about, well, a byproduct, if you will, I don't think I used that term last week, but a byproduct of the fact that it's inspired by God is that it is inerrant. God does not make any mistakes. So that was the focus of our study last week. We covered why that's so important, because the doctrines that are taught, uh, Jesus taught, and uh, the Apostle Paul, and Peter, and so forth, they relied on the Old Testament to the nth degree to very to, to very deep detail and if 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 the bible wasn 't inerrant in every word, then they couldn 't make those arguments so now um, and again, I should point out I made this point before the first section that I used a lot of kind of the outline and the flow from a study called um, how Firm a Foundation by Bob Jones University Press that was back in 1999. I did a series on this. So again, a lot of the points and the flow and some of the actual quotes I'll use come from that. I also did use, as Pastor pointed out, some of this book here, A Survey of Bible Doctrine. And also, I think this is in our library, From the Mind of God to the Mind of Man and a few others as well. So <laughs> there, there's a lot that can go into this. So, um, when we talked about that the Bible's true, we, meant, we, we referred to 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, very familiar passage to many of you probably, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So in that section, we d- talked in detail about the meaning of inspiration, um, but we really didn't define what the word scripture means meant. So um, I, it's interesting, and I'm not going to go into the detail at all. I don't have time to do so, but just an interesting point of reference. The only occurrence of the word scripture or scriptures in the Old Testament that I could find using my Bible software is in Daniel. We sung a song <clears throat> about Daniel here, but in Daniel ten twenty one, he said, Daniel was speaking. He said, I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. And he said, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So that, that, I was surprised. That was the only term. There might be other words, certainly the word of God, God spoke and so forth. But the word scripture, I could just find it once. But otherwise, the use of this word in the New Testament usually is a reference to the Old Testament. But we also discussed in the previous section that um, Peter, and you can, this isn't in your notes, but you can jot down the reference if you want, 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter made two important points. We covered this before. He equates the prophecy of the Old Testament with the commandments of the New Testament apostles in verse 3 of that chapter. And then verse in verses 13 to 16, or really 15 to 16, he implies that the Paul's writings were as authoritative as the Old Testament scriptures. So, the New Testament is Scripture as well. the The New Testament bears testimony of that in its own teaching. Uh, so, uh, and we also pointed out just one more little evidence. Paul in First uh, Timothy five eighteen, you could jot that down, down as a cross reference, uh, where he says, uh, "The Scripture says you shall muzzle, muzzle you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages." half of that verse is quoted out of Deuteronomy, and half of it is out of the Gospel of Luke. So Paul puts Luke on the same level as Deuteronomy in that passage. Uh, Okay, so now for fun, I have there a short definition of scripture, um, and I'm I'm sorry, I told Dave earlier that I have some long words in the blanks. I usually kind of try to avoid that. I don't want to give you spelling challenges, but... The authoritative, that would be author, I T A T I V E, authoritative word of God. Um, I had fun looking this up in Webster's 1828 dictionary. Um, In its primary sense, it means a writing, anything written. But then uh, the second definition says appropriately and by way of distinction, the books of the Old and New Testament. The word is used either in the singular or plural number to denote the sacred writings or divine oracles called sacred or holy as preceding precepts. And you know, a lot of times in, in the in dictionaries, they'll put a quote that uses the word and one example of a quote in that dictionary says uh, compared with the knowledge which the scriptures contain every other subject of human inquiry is va- vanity and emptiness and i think in a in a previous study we covered you know all the you know quick answers to social issues we kept going to scripture over and over again saying that's our authority and it's the most important thing we can do is seek the scriptures in its wisdom on those issues. Um, so with that in mind, again, there's your, your short definition of Scripture is the authoritative Word of God. So when we talk about, um, and again, your, your, the title of this subject is which books belong in the Bible? Because we say, okay, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, but what is the Scripture? You know, how, how do we know that what's in the Bible is really scripture that is inspired by God. So we call that the canon of scripture. All the books that belong in the Bible, we call that the canon of scripture. And canon, the mean is a rule, ruler, or measuring rod. Measuring rod, it's a, a device for measuring conformity to a standard. So when we talk about a book being part of the canon, the point, it, it has met the measurements, so to speak, the qualifications for being called scripture. So in relation to the Bible, number one, it refers to the collection of books which pass tests of authenticity. Authenticity. A-U-T-H E-N-T I CITY And authority. It refers to collection of books which pass tests of authenticity and authority, and also, however, it also means those books are our, o u r, rule of life. Our lives should be ruled by that book. Those things that are in the canon. Yeah, our, 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 our. Okay. Letter B. A key perspective before we proceed. And really, this is the crux of the whole lesson. Hopefully, it'll kind of weave in and out as we go through this. The early church did not decide what books should make up the Bible. They did not decide what books would make up the Bible. They simply recognized recognized the reality of what books belonged in it. Okay, so the early church did not decide what books make up the Bible, they just recognized the reality of what books belonged in it. Um, and let's, let's go to Scripture. This is what I'm always much more comfortable when I do that <laughs> to see what the Bible says here. Um, let, number one under that, to fill in your blank, it says, Jesus proclaimed that his sheep hear his voice and are able to avoid the voice of a stranger. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and uh, verses 1 to 5, and then we'll look at verse 11 and verse 27 as well. Jesus said, "'Most assuredly, I say to you, "'he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door "'but climbs up some other way, "'the same is a thief and a robber. "'But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep.'" Then, of course, he's saying, verse verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then again in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So Jesus, he makes the point we know his voice. True believers will know the voice of Jesus. And and we know, too, that all of Scripture is from Christ. He is actually the the architect of Scripture, if you will. When God breathed it out, he breathed it out by his Holy Spirit, but Jesus also is the Word. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is, you know, we find out about Jesus through his Word. So if we our true believer, and I'm going to share this actually. I had it planned for later, but just to try and make this point again, the, the churches did not decide what books were in there, they just recognized. Now, how did they recognize? Well, the scriptures were wit- written, these, you know, and then they were used within the churches, and some became widespread. It was because they spoke to the believers. The believers saw them as having authenticity, having power, as being from God. They sensed by their spirit that. And just one example, personal testimony many of you have heard this, maybe have I shared it before. Before I came to know the Lord, I was 22 years old when I came to know the Lord. And at that time, the, the gospel had been presented to me. I went to, a, went to a church one time, to an evangelistic service, heard the word again, was challenged with the gospel. The pastor wanted to talk to me. He talked to me. I explained to him, I understand in my head what you're saying, but I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe in God. So he, challenged, he gave me a little booklet that just had the Gospel of John in it. And he said, I want you to go home and read this through as soon as you can. And every time before you sit down to read it, ask God that he would give you faith to believe in him if he is real. And so I did that. So I took the Gospel of John, I read through it, and by the time I read through it, which is three days later, I could have faith in God. I trusted Christ the next day. I actually, you know, took that step of of receiving Christ as my Savior, but just any old book wouldn't do that. Wouldn't have changed me from not believing in God to believing in God. But so that testified to me that the Gospel of John is part of the Word of God. So similarly, that's the way God's Word works in people's lives, whether through salvation or conviction or growth or whatever it might be. So that's how God's Word became used and used and used and more widespread. So if we hear his voice and we don't know the voice of strangers, we'll be able to discern between what truly is Scripture and what is not. Right, right. as we look back on it, sometimes we'll pick up on things and say, yeah, you know, I never really, th- I didn't think about it at the time, but yeah, God used that. And then his word is the, uh, that's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, so number two uh, under that, we said Jesus proclaimed his sheep and then number two, God has presented to believers, this is a long, a long bullet here, God has presented to believers Bear with me a second. What you have in yours is a little different than what I have in mine, and I don't want to. Hmm. Okay, we'll make do here. Yeah, God has presented to believers the perfect text He breathed, breathed out by His Holy Spirit, and placed in their hearts, in the believers' hearts that same spirit bearing testimony that it is from God. Okay, so God's word itself testifies by the author of scripture in the believer's heart that it's from God. That's kind of an example, again, I'm sharing my testimony that fits with what's going on right there. If God by his spirit provided his word, he also by that same spirit testifies to our hearts that it is from God. So, number three, even when considering canonicity, that is, whether or not not a book should be in the canon, man does not judge the text. Rather, he is judged by it. And uh, in, in one of these resources, they pointed out, this doesn't seem intellectually satisfying. Okay, to say, well, hey, you know, it just... it. It speaks to my spirit. I know it's true. The churches knew that it was true. It belonged in, because, but if it was any other way, it would be man who is deciding. But man didn't decide what God's word was. It was God who made that decision. And so, and then he handed it down to man. So it is, it is something that you just can't get there strictly with the mind. It doesn't work. Faith is involved. We have to realize that. Uh, but, but that's the way it has to be for God to be the ultimate authority. Okay, and uh, yeah, here's a little, I guess I just said this, but think about it. If God had decided that men would identify which books were uh, canonical, that means belonging to the canon, by using their own system of tests, then men would be standing in judgment over the text. But that's not the case, okay? All right, the Old Testament canon. Let's get into that a little bit. The Jewish view of the Old Testament, they had three main divisions. The law, number one, the law, two, the prophets, and three, the writings or Psalms. Okay, the, the last of the divisions, the writings is sometimes called the Psalms because that... <laughs> That's the longest stretch. That It dominates the section of um, of the writings. But just for fun, and if you want me to, I can make a copy of this. Uh, it was out of that study from 1999 I mentioned. The law basically includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five, the books of, of um, Moses, that Moses wrote. Then you have the prophets, which you have the former prophets, which are Joshua judges, first and second Samuel and first and second kings, and then the latter prophets, which involve Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the big three sort of, and then the other 12, which we've heard some. Uh, pastor has preached on some of these, Obadiah, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, whatever. and so forth, uh, all the way to Malachi. Okay, and then the writings include Psalms, Job's uh, Job, Proverbs, which are often called poetry and wisdom, uh, Ruth, the Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes and Lamentations and Esther, which are were called the rolls, were another segment. And then history included Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and First and Second Chronicles. So that's how these three three main divisions, according in the in the Jews Jewish view of the Old Testament. So the, um, let's number two uh, where are we? Yeah, number two under that. These divisions include the same 39 books as I just kind of went through here in our Old Testament. The, the, the Jews arranged uh, differently based on the date of writing. So Second Chronicles was the last book in their collection of the Old Testament scriptures. And that was dated around 424 BC. So with that in mind, okay, that the way the Jewish people organized the Old Testament scriptures, Second Chronicles was at the end of their Old Testament scriptures, okay? So let's now go to um, Jesus's view of the Old Testament. And number one is pronouncing Jesus, pronouncing the Jewish leaders guilty of the blood of prophets from Abel, A B E L, to Zechariah, and to spell that, let's just go to the scriptures and copy it out of your scriptures. Okay, if you want to know how to spell Zechariah, let's go to Luke chapter eleven. Luke chapter eleven, and we're going to start at verse forty-four. And this is, you know, we lose sight of this sometimes. Jesus was a Jew, right? He was, he was of Jewish heritage. He, he, he was, he, he came out of. Uh, the Israeli nation uh, in Judah. And so so he would have known, he would have been familiar with the Jewish customs, their rules, the the way they looked at scripture and so forth. So let's look at this, starting in verse 44, starting on on a light note. (laughs) Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen and men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then when a lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you approach us also. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of their, your fathers, for they indeed killed them, but you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Okay, so obviously we know, we know of Abel, right? Uh, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. So he was the first at the very beginning. He was the first prophet, so to speak, and he was killed. He was martyred. His blood was shed. But what about this Zechariah? It's not talking about the Zechariah of the book of Zechariah, but it's another one. And turn, if you would, to Second Chronicles which is not at the end of your Old Testament, but was at the end of the Jewish Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter twenty-four, and verse twenty. Here are a lot of pages turning. I'll wait till it gets quiet. Okay, so Second Chronicles chapter twenty-four, verse twenty, says here: Then the spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. So hopefully you've, hopefully you've been following with me here. What's the significance of Christ's message here as it relates as it relates to the Old Testament Canon? Well, again, if Second Chronicles is the last book of the Jewish Old Testament, as you were, as you would, and Genesis was the first, Abel, he's basically saying, "From Genesis. To our Malachi, with Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, So in doing that, he, he has included the whole um, how am I say? So Jesus saying that uh, the Jewish leadership was guilty of the blood of all the prophets, from the beginning of the first book to the end of the last book. That's basically what Jesus was saying here. And it's interesting, maybe at the end, I'll talk a little bit about the Apocrypha, okay? We can't ignore the fact that the Apocrypha exists. In a lot of copies of the Bible, so to speak, the Apocrypha would be books in between the Old and the New Testament that didn't get, begin to get written until maybe 300 years after Malachi. And so some people consider those, and I think it's some Council, Catholic council in the 1500s, was it, or something, it was considered scripture, but the reformers rejected that Okay, so anyways, Jesus didn't mention the Apocrypha. Okay, he's just talking about from Genesis to Second Chronicles, basically. Uh, so, but he does, without mentioning the Apocrypha, acknowledges a Jewish canon of 39 books. Let's look at another one. Um, now, yeah, number two, under Jesus's view of the Old Testament, proclaiming all things written in the law of Moses and in the, and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled concerning him. So let's see that in Luke chapter 24. Okay, so I'll start there, Luke twenty-four 44. I'm going to read on to verse 47 to fill out the context a little bit. Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms. Remember, again, the Psalms or writings was the last of the three sections according to Jewish, um, the Jewish uh, custom at the time. Verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, that's interesting, okay? So he's saying, okay, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms make up the scriptures because he's going on to con- explain he opened their understanding, they might comprehend the scriptures. That's what he's talking about. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Okay. Again, I guess I already I jumped ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, You you might ask at this point, how do we know Jesus was referring to the same books we consider to be part of the Old Testament canon? And again, as we mentioned, the Jews accepted only 39 of the books as part of the canon of the Old Testament, though they were in different order than we have. Jesus would have grown up with this teaching, and he would have known his audiences believed the same. If he wanted to include the Apocrypha as inspired, he would have had to specifically deal with with what appeared to be false teaching at the time, okay, but he did not. He he remained silent about that and just went forward with the assumption that they uh, would understand what books he was talking about in terms the, that included the law, the prophets, and the psalms. Okay, did I fill in number two for you? I didn't. Yes. Did I? Okay. I don't remember saying it was the last book, but anyways, your last blank there is the last book. Second Chronicles with the last book. Okay, Jesus' view of the Old Testament. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'm way out of place. Did I fill out number two under number A? Under A. Okay, number three, test for New Testament canon. Okay, one is apostolic authorship and in order to save space I didn't put apostolic again but or apostolic backing of the author so in other words the early church it's like it either had to be written by an apostle or somebody who the apostle backed or or was closely associated with okay Um, so and again how are we doing for time we're doing okay somehow remarkably I do not have scripture there for you My, my apologies um Next to letter A, you should put in some passages. Put in uh, John 14, 26. Uh, Ephesians 2, 19 to 20. And Second uh, Peter 3, 2. And let's go to those. Uh, Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Okay. Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus speaking uh, in the midst of his disciples here. um, He says, well, starting at verse 25, where Jesus speaking, he says, These things... John fourteen twenty five. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. We covered this verse in one of the previous sections as well, pointing out this is part of why God's word was inerrant, is because the Spirit taught the apostles everything they needed to know to write the Gospels in the in the New Testament as a whole. So he, the Holy Spirit, put them in remembrance of all these things, so that they could record them accurately. Go to Ephesians chapter two next. This is well; they're all important, but this one really kind of hits the point. Ephesians chapter two, verse uh, verses nineteen and twenty. Now therefore, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul here, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the house of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So we know about the prophets of the Old Testament, but this is now bringing in equal authority to the apostles, the New Testament apostles. So the apostles, what they write, you better be careful to pay attention to what they write because it is authoritative. And then finally, Second Peter chapter 2, which we referred to earlier, I believe. Second Peter, it's beyond Hebrews. Yes, pastor. 1 Timothy 3.15. Okay, 1 Timothy 3.15. Pastor said we should make a pit stop there on the way to 2 Peter, which says... Oh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter. 2 Timothy you said, right? 1 Timothy 3.15. Okay, so verse 15 says of First Timothy 3.15 says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So anyway, I don't know. Okay. So. Maybe it didn't fit as well as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Jot it down in your notes and look over that. I think it's worth doing. Okay, and for for sake of time, Second Peter 3.2 says... Um, that you may m- be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. Okay, so again, as far as, so if an apostle's writing something, you need to take heed. Now, uh, we'll see, I am running out of time here now. Um, but as far as the apostolic backing is concerned, Peter, for example, was historically known to be a backer of Mark. Paul was a backer of Luke. And then also, uh, like James, he was a half-brother of Jesus. He was not an apostle himself, but he lived among the apostles associated closely with them. And if the apostles had not, did not consider James' book to be scripture, it would be difficult to account for its wide Acceptance in the early church. So again, there are exceptions where it's not—they're not all directly apostles, but they were closely associated with them and backed by them. Okay, now uh, here we go. Number letter B. uh, Another test for New Testament canon was the unique character of the book and content consistent with other scripture. Okay, so Ryrie, in the the book there you guys have access to, he put it this way in terms of the character. He said, the content should commend itself to the reader as being different from an ordinary book in communicating the revelation of God. My testimony about me reading the Gospel of John and what it did in my life is just an example of that. It should have power in the believer's life. And in terms of character too, you know, it should not contain errors or contradict with other scripture. It wouldn't fit properly. And then let her see widespread acceptance and use throughout the early churches. Um, and again, this is all, it seems very subjective, but the point is, if God's word really had an impact on people's lives as the church was growing, they would continue to use it. It would be more and more widespread use. It's not that the widespread use showed it's part of the canon, but it makes sense that the canon would be widely used okay um, two more points maybe I, you're, you're done with the outline but in terms of the apocrypha there is one quote from the uh, the study how firm a foundation I mentioned earlier they put it this way I think this is a very important point the New Testament writers quote from nearly every nearly every book of the canonical Old Testament but not once do they quote from any apocryphal book so since the Apocrypha was readily available in the, Bible, uh, in the Bible and the New Testament writers used it daily, the absence of quotations from the Apocrypha is significant evidence against the authority of those books in the minds of the apostles. They would have used it somehow. They would have referred to it somehow, but they did not. Um, let me see if there was any other, other tidbit I wanted to share. Okay, we'll close with this. Um, this is from this book here, from the mind of man to the uh, mind of God to the mind of man. He pointed out an interesting point. If we're really hung up about this canon and why it wasn't recorded or more specifically somehow, it says there's no clear evidence of the Jews ever making any official pronouncement listing the books they considered authoritative. It it should not be thought that this was due to their doubts on the part of the Jews as to the authenticity and authority of their scriptures, since their attitude on that count was clear. Rather, they seem to have been content to allow the books to speak for themselves. Centuries of consensus on the divine authority of the books made Jewish scholars confident that such a list was unnecessary. They just said, "I like that. Let the books speak for themselves," and that's basically what happened throughout history. Yes, we have to trust that those in church councils and so forth who de- decided, who finally recorded these books as being officially part of the canon, that God used them as well, uh, uh, speaking by His Spirit, to acknowledge these are these these scriptures belong in the Bible or these belong as part of the scriptures, however you want to put that. All right, I'd love to open it up for questions, but I think we should close. So let's close on this point. Father in heaven, we do thank you again that you have given us your word. We thank you for preserving it through the centuries and millennia, Lord, and uh, we praise you that we have it in a language we can understand and uh, that helps us to study it, to know it, to know you. We pray you'd help us to grow in it We do pray for your blessing upon the service to come now in every way as pastor brings your word, as we listen to your word, as we sing praises, as we give, that uh, we'd be careful to honor you in all of it, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.